0: Hello and welcome to another episode of SBCC Vaquero Voices, a podcast highlighting the unique voices that comprise our campus culture and how we're all working together to serve our students in the community at large. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Akil Hill. What is good, y'all? And today we are honored to welcome Michael Shanahan to the show. Welcome, Michael. Hey, welcome, Michael.
1: Thank you so, so much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yes, you are... It, it, Vice president or is it director of human resources? Vice president of HR. Vice president of, of human resources. And we had Martha Swanson in the last episode, who is uh, public relations communications, which was kind of an innocuous name. But I feel like HR is like the granddaddy of them all in terms of names that like, what does this mean? Yes. Because hu- human resources, like a, like you take me from the outside world, I'd be like, we're talking about food, right? This is food. This is a food conversation, isn't it? That's but. correct.
1: We're all chefs in the
2: department. <laughs> we, we work
1: on, uh, I came from Betty Crocker originally. and uh.
2: So
0: in terms of human resources for Santa Barbara City College, what does that entail and where, where do you fit into the overall piece of, you know, in, in that puzzle?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm glad you, you ask it that way because we're actually undergoing conversation right now about who we are and who we want to be. You know, that human resources is kind of an old term. You know, it starts out as personnel, right? Back in the old days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, we tried to be enlightened and think of employees as assets like equipment. You know, we maintain equipment. And so we should maintain and take care of people. And so. And that was, was the
0: enlightened viewpoint. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, you
1: know, it says something when people are thinking we take care of our machinery better than our people. Um, and so think of them as machines, and that's an improvement. Um, you know, but I started in private industry. So, so, you know, it's a little, it's a radically different environment. And much of my time was spent in biotechnology. And so again, it's very rigorous because people die if you make mistakes. And so the approach was, you know, take care, maintain your people. But really, I think it's a very, very old terminology. And we are discussing actually right now how to, articulate who we are in a way that really expresses what we do so we're thinking in terms of things like people services there are a lot of colleges that are calling their people in culture and then they add slash hr just in case you don't know what that is yeah Um, yeah but the idea is to is it's it they're not people are not machines they're not widgets they're not you don't treat everybody the same because people aren't all the same right and so it, it, we're trying to get into this different model that we develop and deliver services. That's what we do. We deliver services to management when they need to hire people. The services we provide are to source highly diverse uh, applicant pools, which is often a huge challenge. And then you know, to create the environment through the hiring process that gets us the qualified candidates who will succeed with our students, right? And that's not a generic process uh, anywhere because everybody's student body is unique and that's your touchstone, right? It's like, who do we have here? Who are we serving? Uh, just take a little side thing. We don't do a a sufficiently good job. and, And I say this because it's partly my responsibility to connect our employees to why we work so hard, our students. I mean, in other places where I've worked, we were more successful because it's a little easier. Colleges are just, you know, odd animals, but to really connect people with our customers to help them understand uh, the benefits of, you know, why we work so hard. When we were in biotech, you know, we made products that literally saved people's lives. Literally, right? One of the products was the clotting factor eight for hemophiliacs so that they can actually live. All that's impressive and that's great. But when you think about what we do for our students, we do save lives. Literally, hmm. you know, the, the, the kids that we take in, we turn them around when we're successful. We put them on a path to success and fulfillment that they might not get without us. And that starts with our custodians. It starts with our a and techs. It starts with our, it, I mean, it's everybody contributes to that. We don't do a good enough job connecting that. So it, it's something that's really, really important because people here work really, really hard Uh, and it's important that that you know we show them why so we're trying to get there but that's that's also part of what we do right that's the culture part interpreting employee contracts right In, in a way that is expansive as opposed to repressive uh it's a it's a it's an approach that we take so anything that involves people it's probably gonna cross our plate at one point or another
0: so yeah, because a lot of folks think of it primarily as like the, the discipline reporting all that stuff, but the that's really probably a small percentage of your work because you 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 hit the nail on the head when you talk about service like your use you, the the services you provide and so, I mean you're you're a you're a customer service or a people service kind of organization and and if you don't have folks that are kind of tuned that way like akil talked about previous episodes he worked retail if you're not tuned for that kind of life then it's it's a rude awakening when you when you get here that like you, yeah your primary goal is to serve people so if you're not built for that then it's it's kind of not a great fit but at the same time like yeah so having how do you how do you winnow that out how do you figure that out i mean it's a problem that is not solved so it's not you know something that you can just say oh we'll just take what they do and, and bring it over because that doesn't work either so it is just this huge kind of a nut to crack and it's it's
1: yeah well, and it's an ongoing nut, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, as you hire new people, you bring new people in, the community evolves and changes based on those new, new, new additives to the community, right? And so it's just like generationally, we keep having to teach math because there are new generations of people who need to learn it. All of our principles and values need to be inculcated repeatedly as we add new people. Repetition strengthens, Right. And so, so part of it is us working with all of the stakeholders in the district, right, to make sure that we're embodying the values that we say we are. Are we successful? <laughs> no, not all the time. <laughs> Nothing is, but, you know, that's part of what we're tasked with, like the EEOAC, the EEO Advisory Committee, Equal Employment Opportunity Advisory Committee, uh, extraordinarily valuable committee in this district. Uh, And one of the more active ones that I participated in um, really gives us a lot of feedback in how to enhance uh, our our diversity and equity approaches to a bunch of stuff. One of the things they're focusing on right now is the hiring process and the committee interactions. Uh, And so, um, you know, we touch a lot of stuff. My preference is not to do discipline and not to do grievances. It's to do consulting which is the front end, right? Let's talk about working with your people. Let's talk about making expectations clear. Let's talk about motivating. Let's talk about the good stuff, right? I only want to get into the discipline stuff when that other stuff fails, uh, but let's try that first because that's how you build the community.
3: You know, I, I can really respect what you're saying about the piece that you just mentioned uh, about how we have to kind of do a little bit, a better job of connecting everyone to the piece of uh, success for students, like I, I just made it made me think a little bit about graduation, right? So at the end of the year, when everyone graduates, everyone that is employed by Santa Barbara City College should be at the graduation, because that's the fruit of our labor. You think and and so. right. And so I, I just had to just express that for a minute, because it just really hit me by listening you to talk about that piece, how we have to connect better with that, because I then it made me start thinking, I'm like, you know what, I don't even go to graduation, you know, if I'm going to be completely transparent, but I should be attending because that's the fruit of everyone's labor, everyone that's in admission to records, everyone in, the, in custodial. It's your
2: success. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Your personal absolutely.
2: success.
0: But yeah, I didn't go to my own graduation as a student. So let's 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 be here. that is the that is the end, not the means, you know, so let's put that, <laughs> that little pin in it that that I, I was there day to day working to that process. That last day that's super hot and I'm in this cap and gown that I'm sweating, you know, sweating like, yeah, so. But that's, sweat, you're sweat. an outlier, honorable You're an outlier.
3: That's an exception. <laughs> that is not the rule, right? That's an exception to it. So yeah, that's that's something that we should kind of really take with us a little bit. Maybe try to focus on getting everyone together and having like a, you know, all staff, you know, we, we should be celebrating that because that's our work.
1: It, we really should. and it, 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 And not just for the students who have overcome, in some cases, remarkable odds to get where they are but us who've been adaptable and have supported them those are our kids yeah. right i mean we should take pride in them because it's yeah. our work that got them there we're taking pride in ourselves
2: yep. um, and there was and- a
1: college that i worked at well in a district that i worked where the classified senate because i had one they would do a line at graduation and all the graduates would go through that line of classified people two you know two lines like a lane
2: mm-hmm. and they
1: would just just applaud the crap out of them and yeah. before they ever. And so it was that, exactly what you're describing, Akil. It's like, here's all the people that got you there and look how proud they are of you. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's powerful. And yeah. I think we've gotten, you know, two years of COVID has not helped. So it's not a criticism thing. It's a yeah. calibration yeah. thing.
3: Absolutely. Um,
1: and it's like, we need to get back to that because people are tired
3: people
2: mm-hmm.
1: are crabby
2: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: <laughs> and understandably so
0: and rightfully
3: so yep absolutely and, absolutely and how, it's been and a how that looks, couple
0: years yeah how that looks in a post-covid world doesn't have to be a line of people applauding but we do have to find some way to express that sentiment that students understand you know it's like because the world has shifted i mean folks are always on their phones they're always you know in a, in a teleconference maybe that's some but something that is actually meaningful we have to figure something out that's that's meaningful that hits with them like you know like there's the, the word, like you said, it's always evolving repetition, like the, the word cap to, to talk about someone that's lying, like it's such good slang and it's it's like way pat like it's, it's not mine, but I want it so bad like I want I want that evolution to just I want I want the equivalent of cap to be for how we express our, you know, sentiment for the students but uh, yeah so.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. There's a 21st century approach, um, right? And that's for us to find. Um, but, you know, and, and, and I would again stress, it's, it's both for the benefit of the students to show them how, how supportive and proud the institution is. And it's for our own benefit to remind ourselves why we sacrifice, why we work so hard, why we care, why we do this. It's not just internal motivation. You are changing people's lives. And that is one of the most powerful motivations that I can think of. So when you ask yourself, why am I putting up with all of this crap? (laughs) You can say, because kids need me.
0: Hmm. That's pretty good. And that's a great justification for for working at Santa Barbara City College. You know, like we don't produce widgets in the traditional sense. Like I worked the library for here the same way. We didn't we didn't sell books. We gave the books out for free. But it was that if you touch someone's life, you could feel it. You felt the knowledge gained. You felt people coming to you saying, I can't go anywhere else for this. Thank you. And City College has that same X factor there where you you come to City College because you can't, literally can't get the City College educational experience anywhere else. You know, like, so so no matter where you come from, if you get a a certificate, a degree, a transfer through here, you have done something special. And so really just enforcing that and and getting folks that align with that, that feel how special it is to walk through the halls of, of this campus. And to see the, the top-notch faculty, the staff that are, you know, staff and faculty that are just grinding and working, you know, their tails off and just and for, for that, to, to see that end and have it be at that level that, that it, the, the college has been used to. I mean, it's, it's yeah. It's,
1: well, and then, again, I, I'm going to get all preachy, but, you know, it's what I do. There's another level of our influence, right? So you've changed these individual lives. What happens when they go out into society and take the education that you gave them and change society, right? I mean, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with are ignorance in society. People believing anything you put in front of them because they don't know how to think. Not only have we given people facts, we've taught them how to think. Mm -hmm. That influences our society. What other job really lets you do that? If you're, you know, if you make milk, Great. I love milk, but that's not going to change society. And if I'm selling cars, I also love cars, but, but that's not going to change the way people think and the way they work in society and preserve our democracy and all of those kinds of things. What we do will. That's pretty damn powerful.
0: Absolutely. So in terms of that repetition of evolution and you know, you know, 21st century thinking, and, you know, I know you're having these conversations that are ongoing, but you personally, Michael, where do you see kind of things kind of changing a little bit or evolving or, or, or areas where that are kind of ripe for a, a slight overhaul? I won't say like overhaul is kind of a, you know, tear down, build it back up. There's nothing that needs to be torn down
1: and built back up.
0: But where do you see tweaks that are kind of ripe? Well, adjustment? I think
1: the thing that's going to be interesting is this whole return to work concept, right? The 21st century view of work, the literature, you look at what's coming mm-hmm. out. And all of these companies that have said, you know, get back to the office, get back to the office, the employees have been like, nah, eh, I'm good. <laughs> and, and they're like, okay, well, let me rethink it because I need my employees. Like, okay, first of all, there's this dawning awareness that employers need their employees. Okay. I don't know that that's always been uppermost in people's minds. My experience over the umpty ump years that I've been working is that very often employers see you as interchangeable and dispensable. And so this recognition that employers need employees, I think is a, is a healthy thing. The other thing is that the employees have seen, and we know this from personal experience, that they can do their work and they can be productive without having to sit in their desk for 40 hours a week. People know that. It's disingenuous for us to say that's not true. It's not true for every job. Right. And and that's a Concern right, that's a balancing concern that has to be dealt with. That's part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a recruiting and retention tool, I'm being purely selfish as an executive. It's like that's gold.
0: I 100%, 100%. mean, 100. 100 gas at
1: six bucks a gallon, housing in Santa Barbara at where it is.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: If if you don't have to drive in two or three days a week you can handle a slightly longer commute because you're only doing it a couple times a week. You don't have to live in Santa Barbara. You can live where you can afford. I'm all for anything that makes life easier for people. And so it's something that we need to talk about. That specifically, I think, is one of the, because it has a lot of implications, right, across Mm -hmm. the board, meetings, service, equity. And that's a very difficult conversation. It has been from day one. Because even at the worst of COVID, when everybody was scared to death, there were classified employees working on campus in public. Yep. Yep. We forget that.
3: Yep. That's powerful. Yeah. Also, the piece of uh, I'm thinking like, okay, I, I like that idea because if you're, you can live further away, maybe let's say commute twice a week, you're probably happier in your job. And, and, um, and, and yeah. being happier in your <laughs> job means better results.
1: Happy employees is good work, Yeah, right? I mean, Abso- yes, yeah. this just, this is, oh God, it's just such a truism that people forget it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, um, and maybe, as many people have said, more productive,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because now, for me, for instance, there's two hours a day that I do not spend driving. Mm-hmm. I can spend that time working. Cause it's way hard to get stuff done while I'm on the 150, Right. So
3: <laughs> that's a windy road too. Yeah. And yeah, if, if right you're attention. behind a truck, <laughs> if you're behind
0: a truck, you start yeah. seething and turning like, Oh, I'm going to
1: pass. <laughs> oh, and I'm not, and it's, but it's one four, so you four bicycles across yeah. the road. Right. <laughs> like, Dude, I know you got nothing else to do. But I got a job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's windy. So the passing is, is hazardous, but yeah, absolutely a care to dangle because you know, public sector in terms of, have the, the the salary numbers have always been not competitive with the private sector so we've I never know. had that to dangle we can always say oh I but know. our benefits are much better and they usually are but it's hard to kind of piece that out into a quantitative like this is better you know like, like it's short-term say, term
1: sacrifice for long-term yes, term benefit people always just look see long-term. at long-term
0: they will always just see the salary number and say oh i'll take the private sector job even though it's probably you know like who knows what their regulations etc cetera, et cetera. that carrot of you can work Remotely, x amount of days a week. That's that's huge. It's absolutely yes, it huge, and it, and it should be something that would give us kind of the edge because yeah, you know, in terms of salary, we probably are still being usurped because we folks spend challenges. very little on benefits and they double up the salary. Even though you end up spending more in the long term to get yourself health insurance, to get yourself some sort of retirement, some sort of you know this and that, so you end up spending more. But in terms of your lizard brain, lizard brain says bigger salary, I will go. But if you, if lizard brain sees I can stay home and not have to commute two or three days a week. I mean, the the commute is what brought me up here from LA because I was driving 20 miles to go from East LA to West LA, but it was taking me an hour and a half each way. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So you you start doing
0: that mental math and you're like, okay, that's five days a week. 52 weeks a year. What am I doing? You know, I I was up here. So, so absolutely I can, I can vouch for that being a a care and it's absolutely something that would be, would be incredible if we can make it work because there are some equity issues there because, you know, there are some folks that cannot work that in their schedule at all. So if you can figure out a way to make it equitable and, and where folks are, you know, amenable to it across the entire spectrum of the campus, then, you know, it's absolutely something we should pursue.
1: So. Yeah, that, that there's the, the, the other challenge, and this is the other thing that we're going to need to talk about is the relationships, right? Because we, we are an interdependent entity or an interdependent community. We're not like, you know, an engineer in this department, this department, this department, they do their thing, they do their thing, they do their thing, blah, 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 blah. Nobody does anything alone in the Santa Barbara community. We are highly interdependent. That means we're relationship driven. Right. And it just even just forget about operational culture. Just think in terms of, of transactional culture with each other. How do you give the benefit of the doubt to someone you do not know or trust? And giving the benefit of the doubt is something we need to do. Right. We've talked about space for grace. We've talked about all these things. I'm not even talking about DEI stuff. I'm talking about, you know, I'm in an argument right now with somebody over who said we would do what and blah, blah, blah. Right. It's just the natural course of work. You will get along much better with people with whom you have a relationship, and there are indications that that might be a little bit more difficult to maintain without a 21st century approach on Zoom, right? And so there's all this thinking. There's there are benefits to physical being in the same office with somebody and having this, you know, face to face. We need to explore that, right? We need to explore how much of that is actually true, right? And then how much of that we can save. And I think there are ways, right? Cause we're, that's what we want to talk about. You know, what are the strategies?
3: So, yeah. I prefer a balanced approach. So give me Monday and Friday's off. I'll, I'll be in the office. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs>
1: I, and I think that's where it's headed, frankly, you know, in, uh, in HR, we have regular check-ins with all staff and then my direct reports on zoom, excuse me. And so, we get a chance to just kind of see what's going on. We take time to, to shoot the, you know, just Mm -hmm. talk. Mm -hmm. Because if, if you only talk because you have meetings to do, you're not relationship building. Mm -hmm. And so it is important to spend a little bit of time. And so that's kind of the evolution that, that management needs to get to, right? We're all working managers. We're all very short staffed. And it's my impression anecdotally, that management is so under their own stuff they need to do. They don't have time to make those connections just for the sake of connection Mm -hmm. with their teams. Not a business meeting, not a staff meeting. Okay, we're going to talk about this. And then it's just like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. What's going on in your life?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Are you
1: okay? What's top of mind that's bugging you right now? Who has time for that? Have, Have either of you been engaged in a conversation like that?
3: well i could say i'm in our department uh i have i mean we have a text we have a text group and so people are like dropping family pictures what they're doing like on the weekends and and stuff like that so um so in that regard i mean i think we're kind of like an outlier in that in that space but and it's been great
0: and yeah Yeah. we're a small team so we, we definitely get the chance to do do it via the text chat and stuff like that so they're there are little pieces there but like yeah we, it's been a while since we've done a, an office happy hour and things of that sort because there are all those kind of little little things to to kind of think about now in this i
1: like, know it's really difficult we had a yeah. office lunch at the beach front you know the one down there oh front,
2: yeah
1: Which i just happen to be in love with they do great hot dogs
2: um, beach side i think
1: beach, i think it's Beachside down you know down on the, yeah. uh, the oh, beach yeah. Their uh, hot dogs are the, pretty good they have yeah. a corn
0: dog and the kids know that my son gets me. he steals a couple oh, bites every time too. So
1: check that out. Um, <laughs> so we did that like two years ago, right? And that's mm-hmm. sort of the last time we've been able to do anything. So yeah, that's going to be the question is how do you, how do you maintain all that? Some of what you guys do, the text group or whatever, might be a strategy that we want to look at, right? Uh, how do we leverage both time and technology? It is the 21st century. Um, yeah.
0: so that, that, that's something I'm curious about where, you know, as some, as a kid who grew up on the streets, walking around seeing people, like I could have one conversation with a person, look him in the eyes, I am up and down, and kind of say I can trust this person or I don't trust this person. Mm-hmm. You know, it was maybe one or two interactions at the most, and I could have a, a cursory—it's not you know comprehensive, of course—but it was at least, do I trust this person not to rob me or kill me? You know, like right. that was my that was my street kind of rubric. A good start. So yeah. <laughs> now, now has that evolved with with the new generation, younger folks, where they can do that virtually because it's it's much more difficult for me to do that over Zoom or over text conversation. I mean, over a text conversation, you have a chance to build it out. So over like a week or a couple of weeks, I can kind of get that same kind of profile built. But do the kids, I mean, this is a rhetorical, I mean, a question that I don't know the answer to. Do the do the younger folks have that ability where it is kind of easier for them to do that in, a, in an online environment because they have been raised within that ecosystem? So I, okay. I mean, theoretically, it, it should be the case where, yeah, then- then this this it's not as much of a barrier as it is for us old heads as, as it is for the young folks where they can just get in there and be like oh i can tell you know you're cool you're cool you're not whatever but yeah i don't know yeah it's just unknown for me because i'm you know I'm, I'm out of the loop to a certain extent as much as i try to stay within the loop you know so
1: yeah uh, this is new for everybody though
0: right yeah i mean you know mm-hmm.
1: one of the things we're having uh, in, the, in this context is you know What we're coming out of is what people the literature is calling the surveillance management culture, right, Mm. which is if I see you, then you must be working, (laughs) If you look busy, you must be right. And that goes back to the old saw never walk through the office except quickly and hold papers. (laughs) <laughs> that way you look like <laughs>
2: the briefcase hey, the hey briefcase.
3: Michael, Michael you, you can't be out here giving people secrets up like that you know like I see hungry with papers all the time uh, and he looks very yeah. intent and he's walking purposefully
0: oh yeah I used to get away with like 80 percent of my things just got glasses like the glasses would throw me, just people would be like he must be up to get something good so yeah.
3: I used to do that when I used to manage at Nordstrom's every now and again and it, it worked and there's papers walking briskly looking like you're about to go somewhere when you're about to go to the cafe uh to the, up to the cafeteria to get a cup of coffee dude uh-huh.
1: <laughs> but you're frowning and you so yeah. you must be really thinking about something yeah yeah well and you know those are <laughs> those are all the tricks for surveillance culture right mm-hmm. um and so yeah i mean i see the, <laughs> i see the memes on on tiktok which i I don't look at, but I see the memes on TikTok where there's like, I'm just pounding a keyboard because it just look, I look like I'm doing something. And this is, this is how I get through the day. Like, mm, right. If, if all we look for is activity, then that's what we're going to see. And that's what we're going to get. Mm. Uh, there's an instructor. Uh, God, it's been decades now. He was probably dead or retired by now, but um, out at UCLA who used to talk about rewards theory. And one of the things that he talked about was if, you know, if you're seeing results that you don't like, right, if you're getting output that's not satisfactory, look at your reward structure. This is because mm-hmm. it is highly likely that one way or another, you're rewarding the outcome, whether formally or informally. And so he talks about intentional connections of rewards to outputs. His, his you know, he gives a lot of examples of, you know, skewed reward structures, like the, his, the one that worked for me was the head of an orphanage right who you know generally the larger the institution the more you get paid right Um, but what's the purpose of an orphanage It's to like find homes for children and so if you're successful you're not large well hmm. so what does that incentivize the executive to do find a lot of placements and be small or stay big and get paid or academically he says, you know, when you're working with a grades based environment, you're incentivizing people to take easy classes because that's how you get the grade as opposed to the knowledge.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he says, what are you looking at? What are you rewarding? And so it's fascinating to me. It's like we have to align our positive responses to behavior that's, that meets our values and not, not be sloppy, right? there's a lot of stuff we need to look at, right? And, and, and this idea of it's, it's a hard change for management to go away from, I need to see people working to I need to see the work. Mm. Right? It's like, well, first of all, you have to know what good work looks like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's a different way of thinking, right? What are what are the output expectations? And that's how you evaluate people, not on do you look busy? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's, a not a good indicator of anything and that's not what we're trying to do is like we're not trying to produce busy people yeah Yeah. we're trying to produce real outcomes for our students and so that's what we need to be looking at and that makes that whole hybrid schedule a lot more meaningful
0: Hmm. and and i will say it's nice that we can still have this conversation because in the capitalist super consumer society. Most corporations, or organizations have already made that decision and they just want to maximize production. <laughs> so oh, they've made it for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's nice that you can still have this conversation and we're we're in a place that is actually still looking at these things and saying, hey, there's room to do it better and not just do it for mass production. Because yeah. because quality be damn we're just producing now. We're producing and consuming. And half the time it's not even being consumers being wasted. But yeah. still, production is just, just the leverage just goes up now. So the fact that we're in an institution that actually is, is having these nuanced kind of discussions, I mean, that, that's heartening to me because I wasn't even, you know,
1: like you never know. But it's
0: because most of the world, that decision has
1: been made. So it's nice right. to,
0: to be able to well, have that conversation.
1: You, you touch on something that's really important, that we do not give ourselves and our institution enough credit. You know, there will always be disagreements that will always be. We all come at things for, from a different perspective. That's a given. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we do stumble our way through them, sometimes better than others. But that's kind of how that works. There is no clean and neat way for resolving disagreements. Uh, you know, that's legal. Uh, well, so, I, I
0: run away from them. That,
1: <laughs> well, OK, yeah, that that doesn't resolve it, but it does avoid it. But, you know, we have these really hard conversations and and we are so emotionally engaged in them that we forget that just having them is an incredible difference from outside when you look at things like musk saying pretend to work someplace else if you don't like what i'm telling you think about someplace else when you get you know zuckerberg right his latest thing is oh i think about 10% of the people don't belong here uh, how motivating is that right? What is that saying? It's just saying exactly what you just said, Hong. You are, you are cogs, and you're not paying for yourself. You're out. Mm. Or in Musk's case, I don't think you're working unless I can see you. He is the embodiment of that medieval
2: thinking.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned medieval thinking because the, the roots of the office trace their way back to monks in monasteries needing a place to reproduce religious manuscripts, and so they built long tables and had monks sit together so they could work together to, I mean, the, the idea of the office is so hey, old My so Irish right. ancestors were those people. So, <laughs> so I mean, it, it Wu-Tang forever. That, yeah. <laughs> there, there is room to kind of have this conversation. So I'm glad we are having that conversation yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and happy you're happy you're there. In, yeah, you know, it's not like,
1: going to be easy, right? Because as we know, we have, you know, a lot of different things, but we have to do it. Right. So.
0: Thank you for that, and that will lead us to our segue of what brought you to SBCC. Um, sounds like you've had a, a illustrious past, so if you want to go into a little bit and kind of kind of open up and where, where you were before and what, what brought you to SBCC, we'd love to sure. hear it.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, it all started in a little log cabin, <laughs> and, <you>
3: know, <laughs> in the open as far field back on, as you want to go. Yeah, and the open field <laughs> in the open field on a bike. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, God. No, I, you know, actually, I was working for SEIU Local 1000 as a as a union lawyer. And I was, you know, I felt I, I, I thought I found my niche, right? I went to law school pretty late in life, because I was supposed to be an actor, but that didn't work out. So I thought, well, I'll be a lawyer instead. But I didn't really like law per se, right? And it's like, I'm, you know, I've been doing HR. I quit HR to go to law school, started practicing and realized I still really like HR. So got back into it, the degree helped me, you know, get back in at a higher level, which was nice. But I went to the LA community college district because there was an employee relations associate vice chancellor, which included a lot of collective bargaining negotiations. And that was the one thing in all of my work that I had never done. I've been in private industry for over a decade and, you know, done compensation studies, all, I mean, all the technical stuff, but not that. So I thought that's, I need that in my bag of tricks. So I applied. I got it. And, you know, been doing it ever since. So it's careful what you ask for. But, um, you know, because I've literally been negotiating every year since then. <laughs> um, <laughs> OK, I got it. But, you know, I had the opportunity to work with a woman named Jamila Moore, uh, who was president of City College when I was at L.A. And then uh, she moved to become chancellor in Ventura. And I loved working with her. Uh, she and I went through some really hairy things when she was college president, and she was a blast. And I also liked her values and all those kinds of things. Uh, so when the opportunity to do HR and Ventura came up with her, I jumped because like I want to work with her. I was head of the department in L.A., but it's L.A. I was downtown Los Angeles. I lived seven miles away from my office. It took me 45 minutes or more every day to get back and forth, unless of course, there was something going on at Staples Center, Dodger Stadium, we call it the trifecta, I forget the other place, in which case you could just walk home faster. So downtown LA was getting to be kind of a pain. Um, so I, I went to Ventura and then she moved on, which you know is how things work. And it was like, okay, well, hmm. <laughs> that, that's interesting. You know, I didn't wanna leave because we found Ojai when we moved here for the job in Ventura. It's like, mm, I'm not having as much fun as I wanted to. And she's gone. What else is out there? So I worked for a nonprofit for a while. And that was way too difficult. They were dealing with um, sexually exploited children. And I just couldn't. I, I helped them with accreditation. And then I had to step out. It was just too difficult. Like <laughs> me who fires people and does all this other kind of stuff, I emotionally could not take it. And so I started looking to go back to you know what I do. Opportunity to come up to Santa Barbara, I was like, okay, I think this is perfect. Right, this is a college, not a district office. Again, something I wanted to add to my bag of tricks because I'd never worked on a college campus. I'd always been in a district office uh, because I'd always worked for multi-district, multi-college districts, and it's different. So, um, you know, it's a good experience. So that's what got me here. You know, I've been doing HR now. I was, you know, preparing for this like lord more than 30 years now so it's been so, interesting and,
0: and in the collective bargaining process is it kind of changed a lot as well or is or the kind of the the first couple steps are the same then it gets to mediation et cetera, et cetera. has the game evolved a lot or not i mean i'm kind of curious because it just seemed like there are everyone knows everyone that's done it for a long time kind of knows how the the opening salvo so to speak go and then you kind of hammer out the details, you know. Uh, that that's the unique part. But I, I'm curious what your your perspective on it is.
1: It Depends on your culture. It Depends on where you are. You know, some districts are very formal. When I was working in the Ventura district, for instance, it was very structured, very formal. Proposals were passed back and forth. You know, redline things, and they would read them to us. It's like, but I can read. But no, no, no. We have to read our proposal, like, okay, I'll just listen to you read your proposal. Not always friendly, not always collegial, you know, everybody talks about interest-based bargaining. It's hard to maintain, and at some point, all bargaining gets positional, right? I mean, we can talk about the interests, we can talk about various ways of meeting those interests as opposed to just passing things back and forth. But very often you get to the terminal point where we think we should do it this way and you think we should do it that way. And now we're talking about the relative benefits of those two things. Now we're actually getting positional again. So you're right. It's a dance that ultimately gets very traditional, except Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) I mean, that took me (laughs) some time to get accustomed to it because this is much more collaborative than I'm used to in decades of negotiating. But I will tell you, I was at sea when we first started. It's like, what the hell are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) I was very confused. And I'm, you know, I have come to really appreciate the approach because it takes longer. It takes a lot longer. But it's much more of a conversation and a mutual search for solutions, ideally, than just, well, here's what I think we should do. And I'm now I'm hearing what you think we should do. And those are different. So now we're gonna, you know, haggle until we get to some mutually unsatisfactory answer and say, we won, right? Like, eh, eh. that's an old way of doing stuff. So I kind of like the way we do it. It takes a little more discipline and we're getting, you know, we're trying to get back to that too, because, free range conversations can just go on forever. You know how we all like to talk, you know, it does take more discipline, but I think it's a better approach.
0: Yeah, as long as you can deal with the, the additional meetings that it requires and you ha- and you give yourself the time to hash things out, then yeah, it does feel like, feel like the better way to do things for sure.
1: Yeah, and and we're dealing with, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that need cleanup over time. And so I don't think it will always take this kind of time, but I, I just think it's a it's, it's a better approach in terms of community building again, as opposed to this side, that side, because we're all on the, you know, there's only one side, it's the kids side. So beyond that, you know, it's really a matter of, do you trust your management? Do you think they're telling you the truth? So, you know, Lindsay has done really extensive financial briefings, for instance, when we talk about money, it's like, there are no secrets here, right? Why hide anything, right? That's the other thing I really, really hate when management tries to play games like why right this why so yeah we're, we we put it all out there and it's like okay now this is what it is so what do we do with it good to hear
0: good to hear All right. You made it through our gauntlet of the, of the difficult part of the show. Now we can get to the fun stuff, right? So <laughs> we're moving on to Good Eden, our uh, our food section of the show. So if there's like a favorite meal that you've cooked recently or, or somewhere that you've eaten recently or, or ever that you want to highlight, um, if you want to kick us off, Michael, take it away.
1: Okay. Well, um, you know, the other reason that I wanted to come to Santa Barbara is because of Lily's me mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, because... Yeah. <laughs> we've been going there for years uh and i was like oh now i can just go there for lunch and i've never made it to lunch there yet so
3: um not on funny how that works huh, i'm like isn't it, isn't it it's just fascinating <laughs> i'm just laughing at people who are like oh the beach view the ocean it's so great i'm like yeah yeah when you're working you hardly get a chance to see it it's, yeah i don't I see it. that through the wall yeah
0: <laughs> especially that location of Lily's is like during the lunchtime hour, I can imagine it's kind of crazy to get parking over there too. I mean, that structure's full and everything. So
1: yeah, yeah even on the best of, even on the, you know early on the weekends, we try to get there like when they open. And it's still, it's just kind of, a you know, the one that's right there off of state. It's just, yeah. It's, it's they have that second spot.
0: location in Galita now. It's a little better, but I haven't been to, to, to verify whether it's the same.
1: I've now. been there. I, so I kind of has. like the, uh, the, it feels like the original, you know, just, it's just I like it better, but, and it's close. So, yeah. But, uh, so yeah, I love Mexican food. I love good Mexican, uh, American Mexican food. I'll eat that too. But, um, you know, we have a restaurant in town that's, I call it Amex because it's, you know, the, uh, um.
0: They have the two and three item combo. Is
1: that the, yeah, it's yeah. all that stuff.
0: You have Ojai Tortilla Factory too. They do yes, like, we have
1: our own little taco place. Uh, yeah, And they make good stuff. And then you can see them rolling out the tortillas as you're buying stuff. Um, their,
0: their flour tortillas are pretty good.
1: Yeah, yeah, so the corn ones too. I love corn tortillas. Oh, oh yes, yes. <laughs> um, yes, so that's another good one. If I can't get to Lily's, I get to the one here in town. We have, we have a good Italian restaurant here in town too. Um, um, Asteria Monte Grappa. Um, I love Italian food. I love it's a loud, good food. You don't have to dress up kind of place. So that's that's my favorite thing. Dive bars and casual restaurants. That's my thing. Um, so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um,
1: and then in terms of like other stuff, uh, I will say this: during COVID, um, you know, having spent a lot of time at home, you get a little bored. I started making pasta again, and so I haven't, you know, I haven't cooked in forever. Um, it's just, you know, you get busy and I don't do meal planning and shopping and all that kind of thing. But um, I used to do a lot, and, but uh, pasta was my thing. My, my Nana taught me that. So um, I, I started doing it again. I had still even, it's, it's sort of nostalgic. Cause like I have the dowel that she used to use to roll out the, the pasta, dough and stuff i have her pasta machine and oh that's you know. cool oh yeah i mean i Is learned it, it at, at her kitchen table when i was a little kid
0: do you do the little flower volcano with the egg in the middle and oh, yeah, you know? oh yeah absolutely
1: yeah 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 you do that and then i've done you know these colored ones like spinach and other things and um, um just different i'm working on different kinds of you know you can cut it but there's other things you can do so my uh, made ravioli those actually turned out not too bad so gnocchi that's good you know so
3: have you tried a have you ever uh uh, ohai roti yes yeah yeah i'm gonna go back again
1: i thought it was the bread knocked me out Uh, yeah uh, that katie i think is i can't remember her last name but
2: Mm -hmm.
1: ah yeah it's uh, i would just eat the bread the chicken i was a little disappointed with but they had just opened Uh, Um, so we're gonna go back and try it again Uh, yeah we don't we don't get out a lot weekdays are you know, dead weekends here in town is like, Oh my God, the tourists come in and, and you wait forever. So <laughs> it's kind of, interesting. Yeah. we want their money. We just don't want them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, you know, we don't go out a lot, but I don't, I don't like sushi. That's the one thing I don't like, like raw fish stuff, pretty traditional eater. My mom was a Betty Crocker fan. So, mm. you know, <laughs> we grew up here. Basic mac and cheese and all that stuff tuna yep. casserole cream tuna
3: <laughs> ambrosia salad
1: yes 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 she I did the one am- with the ambrosia cottage salad. cheese and jello and mm. and you know the canned milk and you, you know, know every mm. recipe started with a box and a can <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah my, my wife's grandma also does ambrosia salad and she'll do swiss steak in a crock pot too which is like this gravy meat preparation i, I love that. it though yeah i love yeah, casseroles yeah. too because it's just something i didn't get a lot of when i was a kid so now that I taste it, I'm, I'm like, Oh my goodness. this is,
1: Yeah. so Yeah. Like the, the, the classic tuna casserole with the Fritos on top.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fritos or Doritos, <laughs> Dorito casseroles. Yeah. They
1: oh. didn't have Doritos when I was a kid. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, oh yeah. No, I'm trying actually, I'm trying to de-emphasize food uh, a little bit anyway, because you, know, you get to a certain, Point in your life and it's like there's a lot more of you than you remember
0: <laughs> so. but, but but why it's one of their few like go-to sources of comfort that is like every time it's every time like so so why take that away from yourself you know like otherwise you can start doing hard drugs or something you know <laughs>
3: yeah. this guy
0: if you have to pick, <laughs> if you have to pick your poison Take the comfort food every time.
1: You're really not helping, Hong. <laughs> you're not helping at all. <laughs> I, I don't I, I'm
0: trying to keep keep you on the right path. Think about I see. you know, like you're able to, like it hits every time. It's all things considered not that bad for you. I mean, in terms of the the risk calculus of you know, how you want to spend the rest of your days, comfort food, I feel like should be top S tier, top, top level stuff.
1: Well, I do have to confess, and my God, I didn't think I was gonna, but I, I, I do have to confess I have a total weakness for uh, Lucky Charms
0: and Cap Crunch. <laughs> <laughs> With crunch Berries or without?
1: <laughs> no, no, just the regular, the traditional Cap Crunch. I'm yeah. a traditionalist.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, the, the junky breakfast cereals were like a staple in my, I'm in my house growing
1: oh, up. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah cocoa Krispies, all that stuff <laughs> yeah really really just garbage food <laughs>
0: <laughs> and literally that's how it was, was invented was they needed something to do with all that extra extra corn or whatever rice pieces over there let's just make, throw some sugar on it and do that. but hey it's somewhat nutritious works for me okay. spoonful right
3: <laughs> <laughs> there is this one show that was on the history channel i don't know if you guys caught it, it was talking about Basically, what we're discussing here is like all the American greats and how they were formed, like how cereal was formed and like uh, how Coke was made. And it's I forget the name of the show. It's on the History Channel. It's it's worth a watch because you start to realize like Special K and um, and post like like they were beefing with each other and stealing recipes and all kinds of just mischievous, uh mischievous stuff going on. Uh, uh if I can remember it, Hong, I'll i drop it in the show notes, but it's definitely worth worth the and, watch. And that's
0: even before going into the Kellogg brothers and all that. Yeah, all this that is beef, nonsense, This so. is at the <laughs>
3: very beginning. Yeah, at the very, very beginning. It's it's yeah. really uh, intriguing. It's really interesting. I mean, Road
0: to Wellville and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, so. mm-hmm. yeah.
1: There's a podcast on uh well, if you can get it on like iHeart or wherever right from the Wondery Network called Business Wars
2: mm-hmm. I don't
1: know if you've seen that or heard it and they do series of literally the kind of thing that Akhil just talked about right like how do these things get started the one on wine in California is amazing because there were cartels there was violence there was all kinds of stuff that we are not taught in school I heard mm. none of this when you go back and just like I think what you were sort of indirectly referring to when you go back into the history of some of these things it can get pretty rough yep pretty you know hands and fists and very very difficult it's like grapes of wrath kind of thing well the, um, the common
0: line is is always money money and power and where
1: there's yeah. money and power to be had
0: organizations that are you know will, will by any means necessary to take it so
1: yeah. yeah, and it's it's fascinating what large businesses will do to get ahead, and what they've had to do historically. What I find fascinating is, you know, we have we're in this, well, sort of since Reagan, really, in this environment of regulation is evil, and you know, just leave people to, leave capitalists to themselves, and and they will build us a better world. And it's like I don't know, has nobody read history? Because <laughs> When they were left to themselves, it was a pretty crappy world. It was like, and, and, and,
0: and they kept it out of the history books intentionally because, yeah, no one wants to know how the sausage is made until yeah. upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle. I would just,
1: you just <laughs> right out of my mouth. Just like, go read that book. Yeah. Right? And, and then you understand some of our history, right? Just like read Mitchell's Hawaii and you understand our imperialistic history, right? Just like lots of stuff we're not taught. Um, and so, anyway, I just find that fascinating. But, the, the I, I don't do a lot of podcasts, but uh, that one I find really fascinating.
0: So. so, yeah, I'll look for both and put the both in the show notes because, yeah, in terms of people want to demonize gangs, you know, the cartels and so that, and they and they deserve all the demonization they get. But at the same time, they are taking tactics. They're taking tactics that are well entrenched in the annals of history as being effective in right. terms of consolidating and aggregating power. And we're talking about power and money at the end of the day here. Like, if, if you could make power and money, um, you know, giving hugs to, to everyone in the world, then that, then that would be what, what the, the, the business was all about. But nope, instead we're talking about junk food and drugs.
1: <laughs> well, you know, so. <laughs> I mean, if people paid attention and voted, You know, we might be able to do what you just said, like hold yeah. people accountable to the values that we want. But we're too lazy. We don't pay attention to anything. Most people don't know, you know, they, they go to Facebook. We know that. Facebook is not a reliable news source. So yeah, that part, that I worry about. Although I have to say, I worry about it and then I don't. Because, you know, I sit on the local school board here in Ohio, and so I've had an opportunity to interact with a lot of young, young students, particularly our high school kids. And I got to tell you, I hear them speak and I think, okay, maybe there's hope for the future, right? They're, they're aware, they're progressive for the most part, they have learned, and I hope they learn the lessons that we failed to learn, you know, because the biggest lesson is don't ever stop. Uh, You know, the hippies thought, okay, we, we accomplished something. And then they all went and got real jobs, you know, and forgot that the revolution is never over. And that's what we're experiencing right now is the snapback to that. And it's because we let go. It's because we got complacent. And so I think these kids are learning that lesson, that complacency is the enemy, not anything else. Right. And so I don't know. I'm, I'm hopeful, cautiously hopeful, (laughs)
0: Yeah, you know, this new to,
1: generation will come in and make a difference.
0: They just need the opportunity to have those have those voices be heard and not be gatekept by those, you know, the, the, the children of the people that are gatekeeping
1: right now. <laughs> right. Well, and you know what that means. It means get involved. Right. Mm-hmm. When I see these, this 25 year old, I forget what state he's in, but he's running for, for uh, state senate everybody's like, oh, don't do it, don't do it. He's like, no, no, this is is how you do it, right? You bring these ideas in now. You don't go through the party machine, spend time paying your dues, basically getting shaped and molded into the traditional candidate and then Mm -hmm. get put forward. He's like, no, no, that's exactly what I don't want to do. Like go, dude, that's exactly what you, you're right on track. So we got to see more of that. We got to see people rejecting the old structures that have stopped working for us and build new structures for the 21st century. It's like, let's catch up. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: anyway, it goes back, to, touch that my conversa- yeah.
1: it back <laughs> to
0: that conversation about evolving and using repetition and just kind of building building on what we have and
1: trying to make something right. better. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, and and understanding that we have to do this in HR a lot because nothing's perfect, is that because people have criticisms does not mean that you did something bad. It means that you can be better and who can't? <laughs> I used to work with clients at the union and especially sometimes they had the goods on them, right? I mean, this was a righteous case. And so we would, I would tell my clients "You just, your response is, I could have handled it better. Don't justify, don't make excuses because that's not what people are looking for, right? And you don't have to admit that you're a bad person because everybody can say, I could have handled it better. Right? And so that's, we just have to leave our our, our, our spells space to say that and to feel that doesn't mean you're yeah. bad doesn't mean you were you did things wrong just there is always room to improve
0: it's kind of crazy how many people will absolutely will
1: not say that
0: <laughs> like they they will won't they absolutely will like nope i did the best i could and you know there's something wrong that. with the process just put. there's something wrong with the process or there's something wrong with this but i you know like they i mean it's not hard to make fault and say i'm sorry you know like it, right. a lot of times it's,
1: yeah Oh, there. and, and again, as you touch on something else in terms of the dynamics, the literature is huge on the power of apology. I mean, just massive from a social standpoint, like you're a politician or whatever, to just inner dynamics. Doesn't mean you're a bad person. We all do things inadvertently that we should apologize for. If I step on your foot, what's up? should I say, oh, I didn't mean to do that. You shouldn't hurt or I'm sorry, <laughs> you
0: shouldn't have put your foot there where you knew I was to right. on. Why stepping. was your How foot under you? mine? And <laughs>
1: like, no, no, I caused you pain. Yeah. It was inadvertent, but I still, it still happened, and I regret yeah. that. Why is that so hard to say? So anyway, I, you're touching all my soft spots right now. <laughs> um, but you know, it comes down to again, we don't know everything. This is the thing that that I try and help administrators understand. You're not expected to have the answer. You're not the shell answer person, right? You don't have to have the answer for every single thing. That is not realistic. And it's if you pretend to be that way, most people think you're full of it. So be a person, right? Admit what you don't know. And say, let me, let me do some checking. Let me find out. Not knowing something doesn't mean you're a bad manager. It just means this is a piece of data that you don't have. So, but people get defensive, right? And then that defensiveness pushes them into things like what Hong is talking about. it's a dance
0: and it's it's uh, honestly i'm very quick to apologize i'm very quick to defer but then people look at me like i'm weak so then it's like the flip side people mistake kindness for weakness that's the you know the flip side that part has to change as well so yeah but there's yeah there's a lot to unpack there for sure yeah that's been a struggle talking about lucky charms (laughs) but that's the beauty of the show that's the beauty of of how like these segments like you know it's a food segment but where the conversation goes i mean it's just it's always a beautiful thing.
1: Absolutely. Well, you guys are easy to talk to.
0: So <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, Akil, you want to go? You want me to go?
3: Um, you can go and then I'll go after you.
0: Yeah, I'll be quick. Um, this week, I wanted to highlight a restaurant in town that I've, I've been going to more recently, but it's been a radar for a while, uh, Cafe Stella. There's a Stella Mare over by the Bird Refuge. They've been around, you know, forever. The building is from the 1800s on De La Vina. They moved it over by the Bird Refuge in the 1960s, I believe. Yeah. So they're a classic French restaurant. You know, people go there for special occasions. They have a nice little greenhouse room to sit there and eat. Yeah. Um, Stella Mare is the name of the one by the Bird Refuge. But they opened Cafe Stella maybe about 10, 12 years ago over by the golf course. Um, yeah, of Las Positas. Behind, behind Gelson's, yeah. On, yeah. On, uh, yeah, Las Positas. Oh their menu is much more varied they they do, they do pastas they do like meatball sandwiches they have like a club sandwich so it's it's much more like a classic bistro kind of thing but it's just really good food and the kids menu is excellent so if you if you have kids and you don't mind being a little shameless you can order multiple things off the kids menu and eat for cheap or you can at least have your kids eat reasonably well then you eat well because i always i've i've been i usually stay, actually don't get the the french stuff there i get uh, their their pasta's good the bolognese sauce is solid they have they do a decent lasagna their meatballs are good and i you know i usually stick with the hearty stuff so i like cafe stella more than stella Maris because of the hardier kind of more reasonably priced fare that they offer there because if i want to get a club sandwich i get a club sandwich my wife always gets a salmon my son gets a salmon case meal so so cafe stella i'll put a link in the show notes i mean it's not exactly like a deep dive or anything but it's just something that they've been there forever and that they're not exactly they're not going to be Highlighted probably for something they're doing because they've just been like a stalwart that's been there for a while. So I want to give them a little love and shout them out. So nice, yeah,
2: yeah.
3: I think I've, I've eaten there a couple times. I think the fries are really good. I remember the fries are good from there for some
0: reason. And if you're if you're outdoor dining, like my wife is an outdoor dining only person now, then
3: their outdoor dining is is
0: plentiful. So it's not hard to get a, get a seat. And it's it's actually nice out there too.
3: Nice. All right, I guess I'll go. I'm going to go actually out of town. Um, I was up um, last month uh, for a Moja conference in Oakland and um, went to an Ethiopian spot. That was just absolutely amazing. Uh, it was uh, it's called Mila Bistro, which is interesting because that's not the typical like Ethiopian name. Right. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, I yelped it and it looked it's relatively new, it Looked new, but the re- with the reviews were pretty good so went tried tried it out and it was absolutely amazing i don't know if you guys eat ethiopian food but it's one of my one of my favorite goes to go tos Um, when i'm in cities big bigger cities like you know the bay area um this spot was just amazing um got a chance to speak with the chef and just a really uh, dynamic woman in her own right just listening to her story how you know they migrated here and you know now like she's a restaurant owner in downtown Oakland and just really a heart, good heartfelt story. And kind of makes me think a little bit about, you know, the greatness of, of where we live in this country where people can, you know, have, uh, you know, the right to migrate and, you know, and then share with people's, you know, traditions and customs and cultures. Just a beautiful place. Um, sometimes we lose sight of that. But, yeah, Ethiopian food, the injara was really good. The wazetibs tibs were amazing. Um, you know, obviously, if you've never eaten Ethiopian food, it, it goes both ways. You can, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, plenty of options, as well as if you like the beef. And sometimes, usually it's beef, uh, lamb, and sometimes in chicken. So, but just really good stuff.
0: So there, there's a French restaurant in Santa Barbara, Petit Valentine. They do Ethiopian food on the weekends. Um, but they, they, it's interesting there because um, the food is really good. But the injera, they kind of slice it in a strips and roll it up and serve it that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas Ethiopian, I'm used to like in L.A. They have a little Ethiopia on down Fairfax and stuff like mm-hmm. that, where mm-hmm. they would give you the big, the big plate of injera, yeah. and the food is scooped onto the, yeah. the the plate, and then you kind of tear. Yeah. So I'm I'm more used to that and that oh it's such a it's such a great way to eat it just yeah yeah and then and the way the injury just has this little tartness to it it's always mm-hmm. got this little bit of tartness to it and it's just yeah. like a little little bit of sponge a little bit of tart but it's almost like non and you're scooping up and it's oh it's oh
3: yeah so we were all hungry there was a group of us there was three of us and um, so again they brought it out on the huge platter with the in the in dryer which is like the curl into their bread on the bottom and then they brought the strips on the side so and then you know the at the bottom is always where all the, the good saucy that's what it,
0: that's why scooping on there's so good because yeah that part after it's like when you get like a tostada salad at the, at the restaurant you get to eat the shell after or like a bread bowl with the clam chowder and you get like take the chunks of the bread like that bread that's been soaking up all the flavors because the seasoning and stuff so rich and profound i mean oh yeah oh
3: i i I don't know why i'm gonna go go ahead and just state this because i feel like i need to say it. it reminds me of the fries that are always in the bottom of the bag why do they always (laughs) taste the best
0: the surprise fries—the yeah.
3: fries at the bottom of the back, where you're like, "Oh, there's two fries down here." i am not joking with you. They always taste the best. At least in my, that's in my experience.
0: There's there's a place in LA called Dinos. Dinos Chicken. It's like a, you know one of those burger joints on the corner, and they but they do they call have what's called the chicken special. It's like this like marinated. It comes out red because they do on the grill, but they always serve it on a bit of fries and they scoop like a little bit of sauce on the top. But the Dino's fries underneath that chicken, like you eat the chicken, whatever. But after you're done, you eat the fries. And oh, because it's been sitting under there, like if they're not crispy because they've been soaked by the juices, but the flavor profile is so, oh yeah. You got me thinking, you got me thinking now. Cause yeah, just like the surprise fries bottom of the bag, something you weren't expecting the fries that have that little bit of like chicken juice combined with marinade. And it's just like, and
3: oh yeah. Yeah. So that's that's my pick. If you're ever up in the Bay Area, definitely try it. Really <laughs> small kind of uh, quaint restaurant with great ambience. And um, I, I was funny, I was looking, I couldn't remember the name of the restaurant um, at the time because it's just not like the traditional Ethiopian restaurant. But the funny thing is, when I was looking, I'm like, what's the name? I was going through Yelp. But you know what? I, the reason why I, I recognized it is because they had this really distinct chandelier that was hanging and so I saw that in the photo and I'm like oh yeah this is it right and so but yeah just super just like a whimsical place you know it's a good blend of Ethiopian culture but like you know how downtown Oakland is being gentrified right so it has like the character of the building itself Um, she kept that but through some you know like Ethiopian photos and pictures and so it has a good mixture it just felt really good to sit in that space and like I said it's just kind of lose sight of it all right sometimes you know that we're able to experience other cultures and customs and traditions uh, without even having to to get on a plane and travel you know across the, the globe and and so it just' it's nowhere you won't find that in, in, in any other country in a, in, a, in a lot of ways
0: and not only the ability to share and, and open a restaurant but the ability to have an audience come to that restaurant because there's yeah. certain places you open a restaurant and they're not they're not having that like like my mom will only eat Chinese food for the most part, you know. So if you like in certain certain parts of the world, you open up a restaurant, it's not gonna do well no matter if you're not doing the food of that country. But in America, mm-hmm. the, the our food is so amorphous and always evolving that you know Cafe Stella can serve Italian food and no one bats an eye. You can have open food in Oakland. Everyone's like this is just so normal. Like it it's not unorthodox at all. You know, so it's so there that, that beauty should you know thank you for highlighting that acute So yeah. All right, moving on. Last last section, Michael. Higher learning. Piece of culture. TV show, movie, music, video oh, games. Anything. God.
1: All right, this is where I. This is
0: Recent I or all time. First thing. First book you ever read first movie you ever watched anything you got for so so
1: i am a i am a science fiction addict i like to call it speculative fiction because you know i like it to go beyond science i like you know you start with a weird premise and go from there and so andre norton isn't necessarily a you know science fiction thing but she is definitely speculative so i love that all all the old school stuff Asimov, bradbury Heinlein. oh yeah I, i was i cut my teeth on that stuff Uh, And so now I've gotten much more sophisticated. I am an addict to the Marvel universe,
2: Star Trek, Star
1: Wars, Umbrella Academy. It's like on and on and on. I just, you know, I just eat it up. I even watch the Transformer movies. It's just because, right, I like that kind of stuff. And, you know, after a day of hammering people and firing people and, you know, all that kind of stuff, it's nice to, you know, go into fake light stuff. Although I, I watched, a, a, you know, Netflix is always surprising me with, with movies. And um, I found a couple of things there that I, I encourage people to, like, you know, look at things you wouldn't expect. There was one called Chef that I never The John Favreau movie, right? It. Yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. extraordinarily good. Yeah. Um, it was like, this just knocked me. I totally, for a loop, a total surprise. Um, so th- there's always those kinds of things. Same thing with TV shows, uh, you know. I don't, I don't watch TV. We stream everything, so if it doesn't stream, I don't see it. But there's this thing called hacks with Gene Smart.
0: Oh yeah, that was excellent.
1: Huh. Again, you know that woman. I, she, you know what it was a, d- divining women or dining women or designing something. women. Designing yeah. Designing women. I remember right? designing women. Like women. My
0: sisters made me. Wow, well, that's my quote. My sisters made me watch it, but I did enjoy it too. Delta uh-huh. Burke, Gene Smart, Annie Potts. Yeah. Oh, yeah yeah
1: and so you know she's always played kind of ditzy people but in this one it's a really deep character i mean it's it's a so it's a stand-up comic but it's deep and it's like again surprising so i really like being surprised by things that are you know it's like much more than i expected but uh, yeah i you know, i'm sort of a you know i like that kind of stuff um i'm into i just discovered you know books on tape so because i have a commute So that's that's always fun. I just finished listening to the biography of Alexander Hamilton, which actually I thought was going to be, you know, huge. (laughs) (laughs) And the dude was pretty cool. You know, it was like, okay, these they fought. They did not agree on anything in context, right, with our Supreme Court now pretending like they know what everybody was thinking in 1760 and 1780, uh, and that it was a uniform thought, and as such, gives us a solid basis to undercut all of our rights for half a century, right? Yeah. When you go back, and you really dig into that, which I haven't done, I just read one book, okay, it's not like I'm (laughs) an expert. But there was no solidity or uniformity or consensus it was a fight and it was a concession to this so i can get that that's what we got here we do not have a constitution based on a universal view Mm. we have a constitution based on compromise and concession and even then it was viewed as as a as an interpretive document people really need to go back and understand the history and i was enlightened because it's like this is way more contentious way more venal in terms of political motivations and stuff. I mean, you know, I think it's great. I think there's a, a confluence of, of amazing forces that resulted in that document. Um, I have a lot of respect for it. I've sworn to uphold it in multiple instances. But that doesn't mean that, that I agree with everything that people are seeing and that it isn't the Bible. And this idea that you know we should go with what people were thinking back then hell even people back then didn't know what they were thinking so it's it's fascinating it's it's, again learn our history
0: yeah the time of hamilton and you know not just beyond hamilton the musical which is actually a good kind of like course you know overview of the the, going into lincoln's time where that joyce kern's goodwin book team of rivals i mean just that that through line is always there with you know disagreements and compromise and eventually something gets hashed out and, and we've kind of lost touch of that. I mean, and, you know, and the internet and social media has not helped in that regard. You mentioned Facebook as a new source and Facebook, you know, because their priority is to get you to like and to favorite things. They, they tend to create these kind of silos of information right. where people just kind of, you know, pile on each other, loving each other's stuff. Well, you're going to have people that only love their own stuff and don't get the, you know, it's harder to get the other viewpoints, which when I, you know, someone who, who didn't grow up with a computer, but who got one later. My first kind of utopian, you know, re- growing up reading science fiction and stuff, this utopian ideal of what the internet could be, you didn't. I didn't think it was going to be this silo generating wormhole of people falling into these these holes of uh, and not coming out. I thought it was going to be the true democratization of knowledge. I thought it was just going to be a giant Wikipedia, and then we'd have discussions about things that we found out about that we would not have known about otherwise. And and really. It's my fault, you know. Like I, I would totally put the blinders on to the whole other <laughs> part of it. Dude. Like that, when you interconnect humanity, what else could happen? I had blinders <laughs> on. Yeah, that I always could...
3: works well, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was to, good in theory, Hong. It was good to in the theory. scale.
0: <laughs> to the scale that we, I mean, when you when you bring it to scale, I. I I kind of knew, but I didn't realize, you know, like it's, it's one of those things where, yeah. And all these technologists at the time where, you know, this is the coming of, you know, the Hegel in philosophy calls it the end of history, you know, the singularity as, as, as Gibson calls it. Yeah. 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 yeah, Kurt, That's right. As well. And then it's just this, like, we just thought it'd just be this glorious interconnected relationship builder and we've built and those relationships have been built, but just not how, yeah. And, and, and all the technologies that we built, you know, Tim Berners, Lee with the web and stuff, like everyone has regrets now, but it's too late. We opened Pandora's box and- We yeah.
1: commercialized it, right? We yeah. commercialized oh. it because see, in this country and in most other places, unless there's profit attached to it, nobody thinks it's important enough to do anything. Yeah. We we are not, I won't say not because there are exceptions, but we are less driven by values now
2: yep. than ever yep. before, Yeah. right? And Absolutely. now it's
1: money. It's money, money, money. Yeah, we will sacrifice people will sacrifice service you know i mean facebook will pander to the right and deny it to the left and you know all that stuff just to maintain quarter over quarter growth yeah growth at any cost
0: and and it's the commercialization of the social aspect that i didn't see coming at all because yeah. you know i remember when the web first hit i saw that i remember seeing toyota.com you know the toyota website as a kid and being like Oh yeah, just like a billboard, it's fine. You know, like like that traditional kind of business a website or whatever, that's right. fine. Tell the commercialization of the social aspect and the algorithmic, the, the, the building of this algorithmic wall to cultivate that specific. I did not realize it was so profitable. I mean, again, total blinders, no idea, idiot over here, but you know, it, it just, yeah, it it's just boggles, boggles yeah. the mind.
1: I was just gonna say, I think what people really did not foresee is the value of your personal data. And then that I don't think anybody anticipated that and how people are exploiting everything we know about you. And now the potential danger. Right. They're talking about using that data to track women over state lines, trying to get, you know, abortion services or I mean, they're telling women get off of these cycle tracking apps because they collect data about you. People can know stuff about you. That's frightening. So, yeah, 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 yeah. It's we're in a we're in a different day.
3: I was going to su- suggest to you, since you said do you listen to audiobooks, books, and I know I'm, maybe I'm geeking out of here a little bit, but <laughs> it, the Harry Potter, uh, J.K. Rowling series, uh, audio books are absolutely amazing. Are they? Oh, I'll have to listen. Then. Yeah.
0: And, yeah and as someone who I like, I grew up, I always thought I was going to be a completionist, you know, like, again, blinders to what the Internet would do in terms of the idea of what a completionist would do. But I, I came up reading the classics first before getting to the modern stuff. So I read I, Asimov, Heinlein and everything, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin, all that stuff before I felt like I deserved or was 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 because, you know, there was so much gatekeeping in science fiction. There was like punk rock and hip hop, all that stuff. You had to you had to know your roots before you could get into the "quote unquote" good stuff, like yeah. I couldn't read Philip K. Dick until I knew the
1: three rules of robotics and stuff like Ellison, that. Ellison, all those, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You, gotta, so you, you gotta read the old dudes; they set the foundation, foundation, and, right? Asimov. <laughs> and I was
0: a fool, and now, and now I write like an eighty-year-old man because of it, because all my diction is learned, the you know, source from that old school. But, but if you had to give someone like a, if you had to suggest a, an intro for someone who's trying to get in a, getting into the speculative fiction, one of the classics that just like instantly pops in your head, what would it be? would it be dune would it be foundation trilogy i mean what that's because that those are my go-tos like it's a question so
1: right i i've I've reread both of those i've read all of frank herbert i've read all of the the things that his kids wrote it's like i can't let go um but they're dense right just like the the lord of the rings trilogy is dense right dense 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 and if you're not a reader who is who likes to immerse themselves in the language right and and you're looking for just stuff to keep happening which is a more contemporary approach some of that older stuff is harder but like um caves of steel for instance or iRobot, robot you know to me that's a little tiny bit piece like caves of steel actually that one <laughs> so fascinating right the whole premise being that this dude gets sent to a planet where people's culture has immer- has evolved such that they cannot stand to be in physical proximity to each other <laughs> everything is done by hologram sound familiar
3: <laughs> awfully familiar
1: oh, oh, oh dude right and it's yeah. like that's an old book uh
0: and and, and the thing about cave of steel is it, it's like a it's like a, a *Who Done It*. it's like a detective story built in to the to that core premise he built the universe so you can have these speculative conversations but the what actually moves the book along is a mystery it's yeah. a detective story so it, it kind of shows you also how universal the idea of that you can have these you know traditional stories in these fantastical worlds and it will hit you know with a similar similar resonance so it's it's actually groundbreaking in that regard as well
1: so, it is well you know a lot of people say it's their space operas or you know space cowboys or whatever and it's like you know the writers say there's only seven storylines and and everything is just a variation on those seven basic stories right the the, you know, I don't I remember them all right now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it really is kind of like that, right? The best science fiction or speculative fiction changes one little thing, one little assumption, one little premise, and then extrapolates from there. And it's fascinating. It's um, it, it, it's uh, I think it's Lagine who does the Left Hand of Darkness, right? Yes, which is the multi-gender thing, um, which she took a lot of shit for the in the beginning. Uh, as you say, a lot of repression, but fascinating. I mean, if we had literally more than two genders and and there were more involved in reproduction, what would that, what would we be? What would our society look like? Like, I don't know, but she's written a fascinating book. Um, To me, that's really interesting. It's like, just just change a thing and see what happens. You know, like the butterfly effect, right? Mm -hmm. Like one little thing, that's all it takes. then and then okay and this is where it gets utilitarian translate that concept into action here in our environment right it takes a little thing and little things make big things happen right so don't stop because you can't revolutionize the world do the little things the little things add up they make a difference Um, i have a bystander uh training bystander intervention training i'm going to be given to ala soon and one of the one of the memes in that training is it only takes one, It only takes one to break up that dynamic. The the, the science of of bystanders is that no one will move until someone does.
3: Yep. It only takes one. You know what that reminds me of? You know, when you're literally this, what that just totally reminded me of. When you're over at someone's house, everyone's been talking for hours and hours and, and no one's leaving. until that one person first leaves (laughs) and then guess what happens everybody clears out. okay yeah yeah
1: exactly or a dance floor Mm -hmm. right oh yeah it's like the band starts everybody's like "Mm -hmm, mm yeah feet are tapping we're looking around until that one couple who doesn't mind being the one that everybody looks at yeah gets out there and starts doing it like okay everybody now we have permission yeah so yeah we're such a herd (laughs) yeah
2: yeah the gift gift and the curse yeah. Uh, it is.
1: It is. Yes, it, it, truer words never. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So so that's why I like all of that stuff because it really does translate into the real world that that you can make differences, and it's kind of a roadmap, right, for like what differences would you like to make?
0: That's why I always loved it because it would always transform me to worlds that I know. You know, I I can only dream of literally. And the thing about it is you look at these folks like Musk and stuff, they, they read the same books, but they got the same, the wrong parts of it. They're emphasizing the wrong parts of it. They're emphasizing the world building, the technology, this and that, they're not taking the messages behind what they're reading. You know, right. you they can miss the it. heart. They're not analytically parsing it for the emotional. Yeah. I mean, I guess analytically parsing emotion is difficult, uh, you know, just, but at the same time, yeah, they're missing, they're, they're, they're missing the forest for the trees. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: yeah it's, um, it's unfortunate, but you know, that's, that's why the work is never ending. Um, yeah. That's why we can never let our guard down. That's why we always have to vote. That's why we always have to have candidates out there. That's why we always have to be in the conversation. Because yeah. uh, if you don't tell your story, somebody else will do it for you and you're not going to like it. I guarantee it. So,
3: yeah. Absolutely.
1: I preach to everybody, you know, get involved. <laughs> it's work and it's hard. And when you stand up, as you both who have visible roles know this, you stand up, you invite feedback, and it's not all friendly.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that's because you know Hong as you said that's the world we live in so it takes courage it takes guts and it takes support that's why I want to do this bystander thing right this is you know we have to support each other that's how we make it safe well
0: said thank you true true higher learning right there thank you for sharing Michael Keel you want to go next you want me to go
3: um yeah you can go all right so
0: I got a couple picks um first set of picks is going to be um musical uh there's a couple new albums that dropped today as a recording that i haven't listened to so i can't re- recommend them critically yet but i know they're going to be good new brent <laughs> new brent fire's album uh dropped today
3: okay which, okay so you
0: know brent Brent has never missed man right? brent so, hasn't missed so he's a back though he's a reputation yeah and then uh burner boy so i talked about burner boy in an old episode of the podcast he's going to new out today and like brent fires burner boy in my eyes has not missed so definitely check this out Two bands that I have listened to and I, I enjoy the new albums. Um, Empath, I just saw live uh, in LA a couple of weeks ago. They're a, a punk band from Philly, but they do more like kind of psychedelic. They have like psychedelic touches to their music and stuff. So it's not just straighthead punk, but they shred, absolutely shred live, and their albums are good too. And then uh, Bar T Strange, um, he's uh, living in the DMV area now, Virginia, I believe, but he's, he grew up in the South. Um, he's doing uh, rock music as well, but he's folding in all the genres that he grew up listening to. He's a you know he's a black man grew up listening you know in the south making rock music so he was able to kind of take those influences and really fold R fold hip hop fold but in a in a true holistic way where it's not like it's not like rap rock where it was like just you know rapping on top of which is which is still uh, uh you have to give it credit now because it's been twenty five years on that they really you know mashing genres was was a big deal but but he's really doing a holistic way where the sound just he's just really just really free flowing. And it's just beautiful music that's coming out for T strange. So it's one of those things where I didn't realize how kind of narrow the focus, some of the music was, but I mean, the in terms of like, we are, we are children of our influences. So a lot of the musicians I grew up to, you know, you know making independent music in the nineties and, and beyond had parents that were listening to this and that. And, and I, I was just thinking about like, I was going through my, um, my, my mother-in-law uh, remarried recently and, and her new husband had a record collection. I was digging through his records and just seeing the number of the white folk singers like you could, you can see, like, it was a broad swath. Like he had Poco, John Stewart and all this. And, you know, like Grant Parsons, the flying breeder builders. I love all this music, but you can see how, how, how narrow the focus could be and how like it was kind of winnowed a little bit where he wasn't getting a lot of R and B and where I go to other people's houses and they're, they're record collecting exact like opposite same era, but it's like Izzy brothers, you know, like, like, you know, like, yeah. So, you, so we, so we, mini riperton and all that stuff so it's how how segmented it was and how those influence have shaped the musicians that came after them you know people grew up listening to their parents record collections they've almost forked and now we've coming to this point in this you know like where they started to kind of work together but it was still kind of like feeling out and now i feel like seeing seeing guys like Barty strange and other artists that are really kind of folding these these influences is influences in holistically and completely and and we are heading to post genre a post genre world is uh you know it's it's beautiful to see and I'm, I'm hopeful that it keeps growing and, and building from there
3: that kind of remind me of i don't know have you guys checked out elvis anyone seen that oh
0: i haven't seen the new elvis movie yet yeah
3: okay yeah so Did you i see was it? No, I haven't seen it yet either, but my daughter talked to a little, she, she went and saw it and, and she was telling me a little bit of about it, and uh, so she, I like she's...
0: I like Baz Luhrmann, I've never not liked his movies, going back to mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet, the remake, the, you know, Moulin Rouge, they, they've all just been over the top, And you know, even the Great Gatsby film, I mm-hmm. love the Great Gatsby as a book so I don't love the film as much as I probably should you know, especially because the Robert Redford Faye Dunaway, you know, film still exists, but <laughs> I, I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like Mike, Michael in some ways where I'm a classicist at times, but like it was still a great film. Like, it was still like the opulence. Like, he really knows how to yeah. turn opulence up to like 10 and really like just crank crank that kind of aesthetic. So, I'm curious about the Elvis film for sure. Yeah. And yeah, and, and part of this record collection was Sun, the Sun Records, the Rockabilly side of it, you know, with Carl Perkins and, and all that. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah. And then uh, one last pick um, there was an article in Atlantic that was highlighting a book. I haven't read the book, but I read the article. The book was called The Vanishing Middle Class. Prejudice and Power in a Dual Economy by Peter Timman And the, the crux of the, the headline of the article was escaping poverty requires almost 20 years with nearly nothing going wrong. And It was breaking down how the modern world has kind of, it has this like upper, you call it the FTE sector, which is, you know, finance, technology, engineering, and the rest is the lower class. And, and he's saying, you know, like white Americans dominate both sectors, you know, in terms of maybe not in California, but on, on a nationwide level. And it's, it's just, it, I'll, I'll put a link to the to the show notes in the article and, and I'll link to the book as well. But it was just this kind of thing where the the, the headline of the article that it requires nearly 20 years of, of nothing going wrong, wrong. in order, in yeah. order to move up from one class to the other. And it, and it really struck me because it, it, it was true in terms of thinking about how, you know, my family's path growing up really poor and kind of making it to even this, like a middle upper middle class thing is, you know, it. It required. There was a lot going on. It is, it's something that, yeah, I mean, the whole show just to break that down. But at the same time, like yeah, there, there have to be more paths to upward mobility. But one of the tenets that he did mention specifically was access to education. So that was yeah. how it tied back to SBCC where, um, you know, getting, getting the degree, you know, one of those, one of the, baked into that 20-year process of nothing going wrong is raising kids that will see themselves through to a college education. And, and you think about how many pitfalls get in the way of that, not just in the college years for kids, because that's where we all, we, we, highlighted it and magnifies, but going up to that point, you know, public school, you know, the, 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 nature of public schools nowadays, how they're being underfunded because of the rise of charter schools and all this other stuff going on. I mean, it's just, there's just a lot going on in order to get to what needs to be going on, you know? So it's, it was just, it was a great article. And so, uh, yeah. Just
1: Interesting because, you know, the family background is so important to that you know, it's like, I'm second generation, right? And so education, I'm the first one to go to college, right? My, my grandparents didn't even finish, you know, elementary school before they emigrated. Um, My parents, high school, right? And there were no family resources to fall back on, right? My grandmother came over here with a shoebox. And that was it. So, and it's that 20 years, but it's, the uh, the alternative is family resources.
2: Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: and one hundred percent that ba- the idea of a backup plan. Because even when yeah. I was in college, like when when you'd go out and party on a weekend, and you know kids would get thrown in the drunk tank, I'm like, how can you afford to bail them stuff out? How can you afford to do? Right. I mean, that'd be the end of days for me. I'd be getting shipped back home. I'd be like locked down and be, be over for me. You know, like h- yeah. how can this be such an easy process? And it's like, oh, his parents just bail him out. You know, yeah. like, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, yeah, literally, your parents are bailing you out. It's like yeah. <laughs> Without right, that, even, without those cushions, yeah.
1: Even to your future trajectory, right? Because uh, one of the things that I observe now, you know, with many years to look back on is for instance, you know, my family, the imperative was get a job. Get a job, get a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. My grandfather came over here, his, he, his immigration card says scavenger as his, as his occupation. And so get a job, get a paycheck, raise a family, not start a business. We didn't talk about starting a business. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about going to school. We talked about working, making money, raising a family, because that's what you did in the hill in Italy that my, my grandparents came from. There was no education there. Yeah.
3: Yeah. 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 That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Cause when you're, when you're trying to, you're just trying to survive, you're not looking at, you know, the bigger picture, because you're like, look, I'm just trying to keep my our head is hey, a, thrive above water. would be yeah. great, but survive yeah. comes first. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Why yeah. would I try and to think about the long view when that is not guaranteed? Like, it is, <laughs> like the next five days are not guaranteed. Why am I thinking five years ahead? You know, like, I, I definitely definitely see that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. So, I will guess I'll throw my pick real quick. It's nothing any, like earth-shaking, and actually I'm bringing you guys probably down the gutter with me, but, <laughs> yo, new season of Married at First Sight, San Diego, just started uh, yesterday. I'm a big fan of Married at First Sight. Uh, Yes, it's on Lifetime. I'm stepping into my light and shining bright. It's on on (laughs) Lifetime. Uh, Basically, the premise, most people probably know the premise of the show. uh, They take five couples, ten people, strangers, uh based them uh the experts base them on compatibility and then they get, they meet at the altar they get married uh then they have basically i think it's eight weeks to decide if they're going to stay together or get divorced yes that's how i'm living it's these not days.
0: a bad premise i mean honestly and honestly if i had to guess it's been like 10 15 seasons now because I, I definitely have watched a few seasons yes. of my life in my time yes. so thanks <laughs> thank
3: you for their hit that.
0: rate, their hit rate is probably above 50%, right? Because the nationwide and, divorce rate is 50%, right? Roughly. Yeah, so yeah, if their hit rate yeah. is above 50%, it's like it's like the Vegas casinos. Every little percentage point matters. Like mm-hmm. if you're blackjack out, they're 5149 or 50, you know, like every every percentage point matters. So if they're batting above 50%, then you know, like let's 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 give them a chance. <laughs> give them a yes. chance.
3: So throw that in the show notes. I am all about it. I'm all about the drama, all about the fights, all about you Know like what you alluded to earlier, Michael, about you know, sometimes you just gotta check out into an alternate universe. And so <laughs> I'm out here vicariously telling this dude like, man, you messing up right now. You don't need oh, to be doing that. And
0: that's the that's what makes the show so fun to watch. Yeah. Is that is that they go through all the relationship pitfalls and all the things about being together, but they're the only difference is they're married. And so they there's a little more. I, there's a little more to it, I guess, because there's legal ramifications when they get divorced. But it's the same thing. It's, yeah, like, it's yeah. like it's like it's like if they would have just gone together as boyfriend and girlfriend and done their thing and then decided to get married later, they, then they it's the same eight week thing where, then that they decide to be married or not. Here they just get married first, but it's the yeah. exact same pitfall. They run in the same traps. Everything they're getting love bombed at first. Everything's great, and then within like a, it's just faster because here within like a day or two there's chips in the armor starting to show. Whereas like in a relationship, it might be a couple weeks where you fart somebody, but you fart around somebody, but here it's like, that's like 20 minutes in you're, you're testing those waters, you know, cause you gotta know.
3: <laughs> you gotta know. So that's how I'm living. And yeah, so that's it. That's my pick for the week. You guys can judge me when you see me on campus. No, no,
0: no judge. But, but, uh, uh, I'll all have good.
3: to go check it out first. And then <laughs> I'll judge you. <laughs>
0: You, if you can't extract that little piece of knowledge from any piece of culture that's out in the world, then yeah, I, I don't want to hear it. you know, like there's, there's there are knowledge 15 everywhere.
2: Seasons of this, hey, listen. yes,
0: I'm telling because, <laughs> and, and because you know, no, no, it's, no. human existence is not a lake, it's an ocean. You need to cross the full spectrum. They got to go to San Diego, they got to go to Miami, they got to go to Carolina. Right?
3: Listen, I'm not gonna listen, I'm not gonna drop a uh, record on the show that has not stood the test of time that's all that i'm gonna say i'm 50 season in on this i'm not gonna lead you guys astray this on is right and picks, true. my food picks nor all my entertainment i'm not gonna be you one season of something that will never ever return yeah
0: it's like if frank herbert's kids can latch onto the dude myth- mythos and keep building then they can do marriage at first sight.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> you know, hey, we can absolutely. go till they retire. <laughs> 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 Call it widow at first sight or whatever.
0: <laughs> oh, that, see, that would be that would be interesting. Like second marriage after widowing at first sight. <laughs> <Hey,
1: laughs> no crazier than anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair, fair. In fact, but, I'm going to make some notes. Maybe I'll make
2: that a pitch. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so thank. Thank you, Akil. and thank you, Michael, for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I enjoy honor it. and privilege. Before we before we say goodbye for the day, anything else you wanna? Um, any parting wisdom or last words?
1: Yeah, no, just uh, you know, everybody keep hanging in there. That's uh, the best we can do right now. But uh, you know, don't give up. Words, better words. days, better days are coming. I am certain.
0: <laughs> words, <laughs> words for life, and words for you know City College as well. So
3: yes, yes. yes. Thank you awesome. again, Michael. Uh, Thanks, honor Michael.
0: Thank you Akil, as always.
3: Likewise hon. Huh? Um, until for next the invite. time. Yep. Until next until time. time.
0: This was Vakata Voices. Take care y'all.